You're listening to a Flawless Noises Media Network production. On this episode, we are joined by Erica, and she is giving us another amazing birth story. Don't forget, the Flawless Noises live show is February the 29th, so that is we are a little less than a month out, or a little more than a month out. Please get your tickets ASAP. We definitely want to see you. You can get your tickets on eventbrite.com, and it's easily searchable, Flawless Noises Media's one-year anniversary. Also, as a reminder, the Somebody Sexy Ass Mama shirt is also live. You can find the link in the show notes today. You can also reach me at any of the following. I'm on Twitter at Mama Meets Pod, Instagram at Mama Meets World Pod. My Facebook page is Mama Meets World Podcast, and my email address is Mama Meets World Pod at gmail.com. Y'all, I cannot stress enough this live show is so very important for the culture. Please get your tickets. We can't wait to see you in Atlanta. Hey y'all and welcome back to the show again. So I have something super special for you. Um, I follow a lot, a lot of great people on Twitter. Um, I gave you my Twitter name a little earlier in the show, but there is somebody who is so very special. Um, She's an amazing woman. Her name is Erica. So Erica is uh, Melanated Milk Mama on Instagram and I think she is the same on Twitter. Actually, she's milk at milk underscore mama on Twitter. So to say that her statement, she is one of the women that I completely admire. She is a breastfeeding peer counselor. She's a certified breastfeeding specialist. And she's breastfeeding a beautiful toddler. Um, She is an amazing follow on Twitter at milk underscore mama. Um, Erica has been so very gracious to share her birth story with us and I am so appreciative of her. So this is a treat because we don't normally have birth stories on the show. I know that you've seen a few like uh, my friend Lita who where we kind of show birth stories on the main show. Usually it's a Patreon exclusive because telling these stories is so very important. Um, This is a pet project that is exclusive usually to our Patreon page. But collecting the birth stories of black mothers is important to me. We are a people who are historically underrepresented and underrepresented in conversations about birth. So oral storytelling is a way to pay homage to our ancestors and it's a way of passing history. And I mean, beyond the cultural significance of this and kind of going back to days of old where we shared our stories with each other, it's important for black women to have a safe space to tell their birth stories because not all birth stories are easy. Not all birth stories are great. Um, some are wonderful birth stories, but we need to hear that variety of birth stories, especially um, mothers who are expecting, mothers that are going into their second, third, fourth birth experience. It's important to see somebody like you and hear someone like you story. So with all that being said, if you want to participate and you want to share or you have any interest in taking part in the Birth Stories for Black Mama series, it's usually an exclusive for our Flawless Noises Media Network Patreon subscribers and um, it is behind a paywall and I'm going to tell you that it's $5 a month to get these stories. If you have a couple extra coins, please, you know, throw, throw a couple of coins to our Patreon page. Um, 
support these black mothers as they share their stories. I, I really want to eventually do something really big with all this knowledge. I really want to have a, a mom's meetup so that we can share birth stories in person eventually. But I'm sharing this one on the main show, just hoping that you guys will um, kind of hear my plea. We need birth stories. We don't just need them for this little podcast. We need them and we need to hear them in general. Uh, I want black women to speak up when it comes to their experiences so that other black women won't feel so alone when it's their time. But with no further ado, this is Erica's birth story. Erica, you are amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate you just taking the time out to record this birth story and thank you for agreeing to be on my show um again you're so very amazing on twitter you're at milk underscore mama and again she's a breastfeeding peer counselor she has so many awesome and amazing tips if you are a breastfeeding mom so please enjoy this birth story hello my name is erica I first want to thank Ms. Bree for allowing me to share my birth story on our platform. Um, If you would like to follow me on Twitter, my handle is MelanatedMilkMama, M-E-L-A-N-A-T-E-D-M-I-L-K-M-O-M-M-A. Or if you want to follow my personal handle, it's Chasing Sunshine. So today I'm going to share the birth story of my son, Mark. He is affectionately referred to as Sunshine. Um, He is the light of my world and tends to bring warmth and joy to pretty much everyone that meets him. I'm not sure if it's his big brown eyes he got from his dad or the dimples he got from me, but he's definitely a joy to be around. So he was born on June 10th of 2017 at a little over or a little past 313 in the morning. So I found out I was pregnant fairly early in my pregnancy. I've always been fairly in tune with my body and when thing something isn't normal. So I knew right away that I wanted to go with a midwife um, versus a traditional OB and potentially deliver at a birth center versus a hospital if possible. Um, I don't have anything against OBs, but I knew I wanted a more of a holistic experience with my prenatal care and especially with my delivery. Um, I've worked with OBs in the past, whether it be white, black, male, female, and they all had a a pretty clinical um, demeanor to them. And so with that, I felt with being in a birth center, having a midwife, I could have a more enjoyable experience. So I am a person who soaks in knowledge, especially around things that I fear I don't have control over. And so with giving birth and going through pregnancy, that's something that you know, we really don't have full control over our bodies. Um, these tiny humans tend to do what they want, even from the womb, dictating what we can eat, which way we can lay. Um, so the way that I would calm that anxiety and worry of not being in control was to read as much info as possible, which for most women that are pregnant knows that that can be a problem. Um, Google is the devil. So with wanting to be in 
in control. I wanted to try to minimize as many um, interventions as possible. I did watch a documentary, The Business of Birthing. And so with that, I learned a lot about the domino effects of when one intervention starts, usually it leads to a domino effect of other things. So I wanted to try to prepare myself, my mind and my body as much as possible to try to limit those things. Um, Of course, not at the expense of my son being born healthy. So I looked out and stumbled upon the best of both worlds in that aspect. So I was able to find a midwife that was covered by my insurance where their office was actually within a hospital. So I did deliver in a hospital, but I did have a more, I would say, birth center experience with having a midwife. Um, They did have access to a tub, so I was able to labor in the tub. I did have access to um, the mobile heart monitor, so I did not have to be attached to an IV line so I could be mobile. That was important to be able to move um, at my discretion. So another thing I knew right away is that I did not want an epidural. And so for most people to say that early in their pregnancy, before they've even had a kid, the general response to that is usually laughter or a plethora of other comments that either suggest that you're not going to be able to get through without an epidural or imply that you're trying to prove something without getting an epidural. My rationale was more so about, again, going back to control. I felt, or I knew, had knowledge that in some cases the epidural doesn't take. Other cases, you're too far into labor and you're not able to get an epidural. So I felt like if I didn't even include that in the equation for my mind to wrap around to have that option, that I would be better prepared mentally and be able to, you know, do breathing exercises, labor in different positions and focus on that, um, which didn't did end up happening. Um, so another thing with the epidural from my knowledge, this was two and a half years ago, is that in most cases you do have to get a catheter. And my history with catheters, which I'm sure most people don't have a pleasant history with catheters, is that that was associated with me having miscarriages in the past. And so when I had to go to the hospital from having a miscarriage, in those instances, I had to get a catheter. So I just didn't want to have that association with that. Um, And I did not want to be tied down to something where, again, I couldn't labor in the water or move around as much as I would like. So I end up going into labor almost a week after my due date. Um, I was obviously very uncomfortable. Um, The doctors had projected that he would be a large baby over nine pounds, simply due to um, my partner being a 10 plus pound baby. Um, And so 
they did the ultrasound to project how large you would be. And that was needless to say way off. <laughs> if other moms have done that, that's not, you know, a hard rule or science I, I learned afterwards. Um, either way, another thing I knew that I did not want was to have the waiting room full of people waiting for baby to be born. Um, I do have generalized anxiety that's been diagnosed. And so I knew in the back of my mind, I would feel rushed to deliver my son, just so I was not inconveniencing other people who were waiting for him to arrive. Um, So it kind of worked out that he was delivered at three in the morning. So it wasn't a waiting room of people, which was perfect. Um, and I, I don't even think we let people know that I had went to the hospital until, um, well after I was in labor. So I went into labor on a Friday morning. Um, I had had some Braxton Hicks earlier that week. The doctors wanted to induce that following Sunday if I had not gone into labor. So... Needless to say, I was up walking and sitting on the ball, stretching, going up and down stairs. I think I use evening primrose oil on my cervix to try and get that to ignite my um, labor. And so I'm not sure if it was just his time or a combination of those things were effective. Um, But I woke up Friday morning just feeling like today was going to be the day one way or another. (laughs) So I started having some light contractions at maybe eight in the morning. Um, I did know and had enough research and speaking with friends and family members to labor at home as much as possible, just for comfort's sake. And as far as, you know, how close the contractions were going to be apart, not being able to speak to your contractions, those different signs. So I wouldn't... um, go to the hospital prematurely. So I labored at home doing a lot of stretches, um, rotating on um, the ball, laying across that, took a lot of hot showers, um, doing a lot of of movement. My partner did have to go to work that day, so he was pretty much on standby just waiting for the call to say, we're ready to go to the hospital. So I started laboring at home at maybe eight in the morning. And my timeline is kind of a blur, but I believe we went to the hospital at about four that afternoon. And I remember the car ride being very uncomfortable. Um, We had to go over a couple speed bumps on our way out of the apartment. And that ironically was when those contractions would hit. Um... So we made our way to the hospital. We went to triage and I just knew in my head I was at least four centimeters and I was not. Um, So the great thing about having my midwife is that the practice, there were four rotating midwives. And so for your prenatal appointments, we were able to meet with a different meet, excuse me, a different midwife each time just to get familiar with them. Because, of course, when you go into labor, it's not scheduled as far as who's going to be available to deliver your baby. But it was nice to have some type of rapport built with each midwife. And I lucked out and got the midwife that I was praying that I would get. 
and she was this the sweetest older um, Hispanic woman who just reminded me of my grandmother. She she was the highlight of that experience outside of my son. So we did. Um, she did check, and I was maybe a centimeter, a centimeter and a half dilated, um, and was not very much effaced at all. So, um, she said obviously I I could go home, or she knew that I, my hesitation with being induced. So she encouraged me to walk the halls of the hospital to see if that would get things going. So I remember walking up and down the halls and getting to the point where I couldn't walk upright. And so my partner, of course, was there to help me not collapse on the floor. (laughs) So in my head, between the pain and how close the contractions were, I should have at least progressed uh, more within that hour between the the checkings. Um, So she did go back and check. And I think I had just cleared two, maybe three. And so while she was checking, I had a contraction coming on that she could see on the monitor. And so we had discussed membrane stripping and different things like that at previous appointments. I was familiar what all that entailed. And so during that contraction, when she was checking, she essentially said, if you want to have the baby tonight, I can strip your membranes. That will get you to four and then we can admit you and go from there. So pretty quickly, I told her to go ahead and do what she needed to do. And that was a very, very painful experience. I think more so because I didn't have the mental preparation time. And of course, not knowing what that was going to feel like. Um, But it got me to four. So then we were able to be admitted and move to a laboring suite Um, And I immediately knew that I wanted to get in the water. It was just something I knew about getting in the water, being able, you know, to kind of sway back and forth in that setting. So I labored in that tub. I'm pretty sure I've lost track of time at that point, but I feel like it was well over an hour. And I barely felt the contractions in the water. So I don't know if that is because they slowed down or just something between Floating in that water just helped with that pain. Um, Most of my labor pain was back labor. Um, I also remember just from watching movies and speaking with family and friends, they always encourage you to eat before you get to the hospital because in most hospitals settings, they don't allow you to eat for fear that if you have to have a C-section, there can be complications with that. So my midwife was gracious enough to kind of give me a window of, you know, if you're hungry, this would be the window to go ahead and try to eat something. Um, So my partner, he went and got me, I remember it was a turkey bacon sub from Subway. And I ate some of the chips and I just couldn't eat more. I was mentally hungry, but my body was just not allowing me to eat. Um, So I finally got out of the water. And I labored a little bit on um, the ball, just swaying back and forth. I had um, sciatica pain through my second and third trimester. So I did go to the chiropractor, I believe, twice a week for the last 10 or 12 weeks of my pregnancy. And that helped quite a bit. Also wearing um, a pregnancy belt 
because I was pretty much all belly. And so the weight of the belly was just pulling down. And so that belt definitely helped ease some of that tension in my back. So I labored in the rocking chair for a little bit, and that wasn't very comfortable at all. It wasn't like a recliner rocking chair. It was a old school, hardwood, even, excuse me, even with pillows, it just wasn't very comfortable. And I knew that right away. At this point, I could kind of feel the buildup to transitioning. Um, and so those contractions were coming a lot faster, a lot harder. And again, me being prepared, I had my birth plan with me. Um, I don't know if any hospitals <laughs> staff actually read those things, but I did my due diligence and I felt good that I you know, had all these things checked off the list of what I wanted to have done um, to kind of get the ideal experience. Of course, realizing that things don't always go to plan in most cases. Um, and so the main takeaway was for them not to say the word epidural, not for fear that I would get the epidural, but I just wanted to stay in my leveled mental space. And that word I felt like would throw me off track. Um, so I remember everyone who aided in, in me delivering my son was fantastic, except there was one specific nurse that... I felt like her intentions were good with trying to help by offering the the epidural. And I was just explaining that I was, my body was, was worn out. I'm sure at this point I was in labor, maybe 12 hours. And so my body was just tired, but it wasn't allowing me to rest in between the contractions. And I wasn't dilating to the point where he was going to be coming anytime, going to be coming anytime soon. And even at this point, 12 hours in, my water hadn't broken. So I think maybe most first-time moms, we have this picture that we're at home or we're in the grocery store and our water breaks. And that's the dramatic scene where we're rushed to the hospital and baby's born shortly after. This was not what I pictured or imagined. So I think they ended up um, offering me Nubane, which I had no clue what that was, but it was, I feel like in my head, even if they would have offered me Tylenol, ibuprofen, um, just that placebo effect of knowing that something was going into my system that was going to take the edge off would have been enough. Um, at this point, I was doing good with just mentally zoning out. Um, one thing, Mercedes, the name of my midwife, we had discussed, you know, um, my goals of not getting an epidural and wanting to try to remain in control and pre prevent as many um, interventions as possible with visualization, breathing techniques. Um, the phrase she would use often is, you know, surrender to the process um, and not trying to combat the contractions, but float on that wave and ride them out. Um, so that kept going through my head. Um, I got a dose of Nubane. And I remember my partner being concerned. I, I didn't realize this at the time, but just speaking with him after, he was concerned because in between contractions, I, my body would be so relaxed. I would fall asleep to the point of snoring. And then as soon as the contraction would come back, I would be back alert, 
you know, powering through that contraction then immediately when that stopped. So it was just enough to take the edge off and allow my body to rest because at this point, I don't even think I was seven or eight centimeters and my water wasn't even broke yet. Um, so at that point, I felt like I had enough reserved energy that I was going to be able to kind of power through. So Mercedes, again, my midwife, um, I remember she brought this oil. She had made this oil and it smelled of like bergamot and orange. And it was just such a soothing scent. Um, and then she actually, to help my body relax, she gave me with that oil a massage between my temples, my arms, my hands, like down my legs, like a foot massage. And it was just enough for my body to, to zone out. And I thought it was such a sweet gesture and such like a loving, like parental motherly experience that I completely forgot I was in this clinical hospital setting. So at that point, I think I was at nine. And so they did use um, the hook to go in and break my water. Um, I had the vision that I wouldn't be sitting flat on my back when I was pushing for the contractions. But the same nurse that I didn't have the great experience with, she was concerned that after I got the dose of Nubane that I wasn't stable enough to try and push in alternate positions. For me, I pictured squatting. That would be the most efficient position, just having gravity to help. Um, and they did have the hospital beds where the bar would come down so that theoretically you could squat, hold onto the bar, and labor that way. Um, but I was not allowed to even try to do that to see if I had the strength to, to labor in that position, which that's fine. Um, so after my water broke, I remember there being a, a lot of water and fluid and the sensation kind of felt weird as if it was, it was too much fluid that was coming out, if that makes sense. Um, after that, the contractions sped up pretty quickly Shortly after I got the new bane before my water broke, I remember specifically when those transition contractions hit because I immediately threw up <laughs> the chips and the, the, the bites of the turkey sandwich that I was able to get down. Um, so from again, from reading, I knew that was a good sign that I was moving in the right direction. Um, and so for me, with my visualizations and laboring, I just kept telling myself, you know, it's, it's going to end at some point and at the end of that comes a baby. And so I just needed to keep, you know, pushing. Um, I remember not having a clock in my immediate eyesight. So that was great um, that I wasn't keeping track of the time and I was just kind of zoned out um, in my own headspace. So the only people that were in the room with me as far as support people was my partner um, and then my best friend of over 20 years. She has four children that she delivered and I was there for her last two labor and deliveries. Um, so th those two were my, my calm. Um, I feel traditionally most women have their mom or a sister or a female family member in there. 
Um, I don't have a stereotypical relationship with my mother. And so that wasn't a calming presence to be amidst the chaos of my labor and delivery. So I wanted to make sure if anything that this labor experience and mothering experience has taught me is how to prioritize my comfort and my mental space over that of other people. So I'm definitely grateful for that. I'm in general a people pleaser, but with becoming a parent, I've learned to advocate not only for my son, but also for myself, which I think is the greatest gift. So at this point, I'm nine centimeters. My water is broken. Um, I'm, I think I'm almost to 10 and I may be 90% effaced, give or take. And so once I get the green light that I'm okay to start pushing, again, Mercedes, my, my midwife, she had like the perfect temperature water, a little warmer than warm and not quite hot. But every time I would bear down to push, she was pouring that water over that region just to minimize any, you know, potential tearing and to prevent that ring of fire, if you will. So that way there wasn't that fluctuation in temperature. Um, I don't know what the rationale is. If anyone else has experienced this, it, it, it just felt spa-like to be delivering in that manner between the oil massage, having the warm water, and there wasn't a lot of speaking in the room. And it wasn't something that I specifically requested, but I think everyone just kind of picked up on my energy um, and kind of followed my lead, which I'm very grateful for. Um, so I remember pushing for a while. I don't know the exact time frame, but I remember getting out of breath and not being able to get over that hump of getting his large head out. <laughs> so I remember bearing down and getting right to the point of getting like the forehead over that hump and me running out of breath and energy to get there. And so I would get there. And so it was like he was going back and forth. And so that friction was just wearing, wearing on me. So between the back labor, you know, that stretching and bearing down, not having the breath to, to get through that pushing was mentally starting to affect me thinking that I could get through it. But at that point, it's like, I think most of us women, we have that thought of, you know, okay, I'm done. I don't want to do this labor and delivery thing anymore. But you know, there's no alternative at this point, right? So I know it's at one point, they were concerned about his heart rate, just because I had been pushing for an extended period of time. And so his heart rate was heart rate was fluctuating. So they did do an internal heart monitor. Um, and so that is where they take the monitor um, while he's inside and twist basically like a monitor into the top of his scalp, um, which I didn't feel any of that. So <laughs> that was great. So finally, Mercedes, um, she knew I did not want to have a C-section um, just because I knew that would come with an epidural and all these other 
again, those those interventions that I wanted to minimize. Um, and so at that point, I felt like I had put so much time and energy that I, you know, I wanted to see myself get over over that hurdle. So she, you know, and one thing about Mercedes, she's very honest and it wasn't like a scare tactic as far as me potentially having a C-section. Um, but she basically explained, you know, over the next three pushes, he has to come out or we need to get you down for a C-section. So I appreciated getting that heads up of, you know, you have three, three last pushes here before we have to, you know, reroute our plan. So I felt like I could mentally, you know, say one way or another, three pushes is what it's going to take before, you know, baby gets here. So I remember my partner at that point, I was tired. I was mentally trying to get back in the game and he was just whispering, you know, just words of encouragement and just, you know, his calm presence and tone of his voice just kind of gave me the energy that was needed to finally get him out. And it was the most relieving, the most relieving um, feelings. It wasn't, you know, granted everyone in the room, including my partner is sobbing at this point. <laughs> and I remember thinking, or maybe even verbalizing, trying to figure out why everyone else was crying as if they had done all the hard work. <laughs> um, but I just remember feeling at peace. Like I just felt relief, peace, and joy. And as if, you know, I was exactly where I was supposed to be in my life. Um, and there have been only a handful of times that I, I've had that overwhelming feeling. And when I delivered my son, that that was it. Um, I knew right away that I wanted to um, breastfeed again after doing research and taking a class. Um, and so I remember reading and seeing videos that babies have this instinct of doing the breast crawl where they basically shimmy their way up and go ahead and start eating. Um, and so Mark essentially did that. Um, he got cut short because um, he did have the internal heart monitor still in their scalp, in his scalp that they were trying to um, detach. But outside of that, you know, they did the delayed cord clamping um, until it stopped pulsating just to get those last nutrients from his umbilical cord and it was it was just peace like that's the most I can explain that feeling um that was short-lived um because I had to deliver the placenta and there was a lot of press pressing down um I did end up having some interior um tearing and so I believe I had a few stitches um more uncomfortable than than painful but I remember even after I delivered again Mercedes using that warm water and pouring that over um, my vagina and perineum just to um, clear all that out and it just I just felt comfortable it was I was exhausted of course but I felt like reinvigorated it's like that high that high of just, you know, accomplishment and, and seeing this baby that you've been talking to for nine months um, 
so in hindsight, I think in regards to the epidural and how I wanted to structure my labor and delivery, the ideal goal, I think some of that comes from knowing how we as black women um, were generally perceived to be stronger and we don't need the medicine or we don't need these different things that can make us more comfortable. And so for me, I wanted to remove somebody else being able to make that choice for me. And so I just prepared myself to be able to do it without those, um, for lack of a better phrase, luxuries, if you will. Um, and so I feel a little conflicted as far as if I were to have another kid, if I would choose to have an epidural. Um, but I felt like I was prepared and that my ideal labor and delivery for the most part happened outside of going into labor five days later than I wanted. Um, but he came out happy and healthy and, you know, with two dimples and big brown eyes. And, you know, again, he's been the joy of our life ever since he came out. Um, yeah, so that's my birth story. Thank you for listening.